and I'm following, following, and I realize another two hours have been gone. So it's like 6 p.m. at this point. And then I saw the sign, and it says Bell Track. And I thought to myself, where am I? I've never heard of this track. I thought I knew what I was doing. And I thought, ah, oh, I'm never going to be able to find this tree. It lied to me. So I ended up walking all the way back to the car, came into the reception and looked at my phone and where on the trail I had stopped. And I had completely missed it because the sign was on the wrong side of the bridge and it wasn't actually being able to show me direction. This is Aotearoa Adventures with your host, Abigail Hanna, the podcast for everything you need to know to travel New Zealand. I talk to photographers, van lifers, moms, students, and everyday Kiwis to hear their inspiring stories from past adventures and to share helpful tips and tricks for your travels. Whether you're visiting Aotearoa for the first time and live on the road, or you work a 9 to 5 and have lived in New Zealand your whole life, you're guaranteed to learn something to plan your next getaway and get a new excitement to explore more of this beautiful country I call home. So grab your hiking boots, hop in the car, and turn up the volume. If you've ever cooked a meal from scratch in the bush, you'd know how challenging it is. Backcountry Cuisine have solved this problem with freeze-dried meals that are lightweight, delicious, nutritious, and so easy to prepare. With breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert options, as well as vegetarian, vegan-friendly, and gluten-free meals, they have something for every adventurer. Backcountry Cuisine are my go-to for yummy meals on the trail, and I also keep a stash in the van, just in case. For quick and easy meals for all your outdoor adventures, use the code ABIGAIL for free shipping off your next order. That's A-B-I-G-A-I-L for free shipping off your next Backcountry Cuisine delivery. Head to the link in the description to find out more. Kia ora, welcome to the Aotearoa Adventures podcast. I'm super excited to be sitting down with Kaylin today, um, also known as Miss Walkalot on Instagram, but um, would you like to introduce yourself for us? Kia ora. So I'm Kaylin, aka Miss Walkalot, and I currently live in Kirikiriroa in the North Island, and I grew up in Rotorua and a lot of my whanau, whakapapa back to Whaingaroa and other parts of Te Arawa. Um, I like walking, <laughs> if you haven't been able to tell <laughs> from my Instagram handle. That's pretty much all you really need to know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. Um, well, tell me a little bit about how walking started for you. Um, was it something that you'd always done as a child or was this something that started later on? I kind of found my own love for it, but I did walk a fair bit as I was growing up with my Fano. My dad worked in the bush and used to take me with him as he was planting a lot of trees during my childhood and I kind of familiarized myself a lot with the outdoors then and later on in life my mum became so obsessed with getting outdoors because we lived in Rotorua at the time so Whakarewarewa was kind of her day part of her daily routine and she dragged me along every day after school and I had no choice but to go for a walk <laughs> and then um, as I got older I started going on a lot of adventures with friends visiting waterfalls and waterholes and going to different parts of the North Island visiting different beaches I hadn't even heard of and started walking a few tracks but 
if I'm being honest, my love for walking in the outdoors didn't really come so strongly until about two to three years ago, post-COVID. I was so sick of being at home. I was over feeling like I couldn't go anywhere. I really just did not realize how much I appreciate well, appreciated being outside of my house in my room. And so I decided to take myself on my first solo trip. It was only a day outing and I fell in love. That's so cool. And I thought to myself, I'm going to make this a thing and I'm going to try and make it a part of uh, my whole existence for the next year or so. Yeah. That's so cool that that sort of stemmed out of, um, I suppose, lockdowns and being stuck inside and realizing how much you missed the outdoors um, and being in nature. I love that you just like went on a solo, solo day hike and, and thought, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's really yeah. awesome. Tell me briefly what you do for work and how you manage to find the time to fit in these, um, these adventures, these walks in around your, your work schedule. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I currently work in advertising. Mm-hmm. I have jumped a few jobs over the past couple of years while I've been so strongly immersed in my walking journey. But I found that a lot of the time when I'm outside walking, I almost crave it. So when I'm at work, I build up this almost desperation, I guess, to to go on my next adventure. So for me, <laughs> whenever I've got the free time, I'm outdoors. So whether it's first thing in the morning before work, yeah. after work, on my weekends, um any kind of holiday I just make it work because I want it so badly I um, don't necessarily need to go far even if it's just down to Waikato River I'll just walk along there and Mm. try and identify as many natives as I possibly can or I go to a local park and try and read all the placards at a hanging around I mean living in a CBD of Hamilton is um, not exactly green (laughs) so I just make it work Mm. because I know that it's my sanctuary and it brings me a lot of peace and I really like my solitude so I just make it work I want it that badly that's really cool and I think it's super interesting how um like some people have to force themselves outdoors. Like, you know, that, that um, meme that was going around Instagram a little while ago that was like going on a stupid walk for my stupid mental health. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes yeah. feel like I've got to like force myself out there. Um, but it's, it's really cool that for you, it, it sort of comes a bit naturally. Um, a couple of years ago, I decided that I was going to walk up my local Monga. Um, I live in Mangari Bridge, so Mangari Mountain is just just around the corner um, and I decided I was going to go up there a hundred times that year 
and went off to a great start in February. I think I'd been up 14 times or something and then did nothing until August. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And then I was forcing myself up there like two times a day, three times a day sometimes. But um, it was really great and it was cool to sort of commit to something like that and definitely dragged some of my friends and family along um to to keep me company on some of those but um also some of them were just by myself solo and yeah I I definitely enjoyed that I enjoyed the solitude um yeah so I guess my question for you (laughs) is um do you do you sort of have to commit to getting outdoors or is it a lot more natural for you uh it's definitely not natural (laughs) I would really like to say that oh it's part of my routine it's an absolute must but honestly when I look at my day-to-day because I do actually journal and self-reflect a lot I kind of think to myself okay cool I smash out a really awesome day at Mahi I managed to get some exercise in I've eaten really healthily today I've drunken a decent amount of water and I've had a decent number of hours of sleep yeah but I feel like that mindset of reflecting on progress every day is it's fine but it feels so mundane Mm. and there's nothing really exciting to it I guess and so on a Saturday morning the thought of waking up at 4 30 (laughs) a.m to go up a mountain for sunrise (laughs) is not exactly easy when you've just spent your entire week getting up early for mahi Um, but I just feel the purpose or the reason that I'm getting out is a lot different I'm not there trying to get a paycheck or I'm not Mm. there trying to live day to day simply existing I guess Um, I'm using my spare time purposefully and as much as I dread early mornings and as much as I sometimes hate the thought of getting out in the freezing cold and it's dark and I can't even be bothered to find batteries for my hair torch or anything of the sort (laughs) I just think if you don't do it now you're never going to do it and you're going to regret it so just do it and I have to really force myself a lot of the time yeah but I really like the reward at the end where you do it and you you think to yourself, gosh, all that hard work this morning, getting out of bed and being in the freezing cold and struggling up this horrendous mountain in the dark was actually kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's so strange. I don't know. <laughs> no, as you've been saying all of this, I was literally reflecting on, um, I think it was two weekends ago we were in, Tongariro National Park and went to the Tama Lakes hike. Oh, cool. And that was a, like, I think I set my alarm for 2.45 a.m. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, just listening to all of that, I was, like, literally going through my mind of that hike in the cold. It was freezing, <laughs> literally, like, frost and snow on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the reward, like, being up there as the sun comes up and just touches the mountains mm-hmm. and all these different phases of sunrise and the magical light and it's like yeah this is why I do it actually uh honestly that that sounds uh painful but also really amazing I think (laughs) when I get out I think to myself how many people 
will actually get the luxury to see what I'm seeing today. Mm, <laughs> Probably yeah. not that many. So a big part of me has a little bit of an ego trip. Like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <laughs> Joke's on you. I'm having the time of my life, even though it's also miserable. And usually you're the only one up there. Exactly. Like when, when you're up there for sunrise, you get it all to yourself, yeah. which is like extra, extra bonus. Yeah, exactly. Um, I climbed up Taranaki as a part of my um, walking journey post-COVID. Mm-hmm. And I hated every second of it because we woke up super early. <laughs> we got to the Translate Tower uh, just in time for sunrise and we watched it and it was so beautiful. And then I thought to myself, okay, surely it's not that far to go now. And then I looked up and I thought this is terrible but then when we got to the top and we had made it just in time for it to be so perfectly clear that the top of the monga wasn't actually covered in clouds and I Mm. thought this was just so rewarding so I don't know sometimes it's just really worth the struggle yeah absolutely no I love that so much just before we hit record you mentioned whare tapafa do you want to tell me a little bit more about that concept and what it means for you Sure. So a big part of walking, I think, is less to do with the physical output and effort that people often kind of relate it to. Mm. And I see it more as a real simple exercise to kind of cover all dimensions of your health and so Fari Tapafa really frames that well it's a Maori framework kind of in the shape of a Farinui or a house where four corners or four pillars of that house symbolize the four different dimensions of your health so you've got your physical your mental your social and your spiritual and the idea is that with a house imagining that it's rectangular or square like of course um it's just not stable without all four of those things and it's not possible for it to be built properly and i suppose um comfortably or whatever without all four of those things being balanced and so for me it was being able to find the balance and with my mental health, I just wanted to do something that felt brainless, but equally mindful at the same time. It's so difficult to, to explain, but uh, me living in Australia for quite some time after my childhood, I almost disconnected from my spiritual and social well-being as well, where I almost lost touch of my heritage and my lineage. And I really wanted to be able to become familiar again with uh, what it means to me Māori because I'm Māori and it's something that I'm really proud of uh, but never quite knew how to express that and so walking for me especially in locations uh, like Whakapongako on the outskirts of Rotorua or just going around the Blue Lake for example 
meant that I could somehow on a spiritual and somewhat social level be able to connect with my tupuna and my ancestors and my family and my roots and it was just a really beautiful way for me to kind of connect with that and bring that those dimensions of my well-being almost back to where it needed to be and then as for my physical health well I'm just you know working on my physical health at the same time and it just turned out to be kind of like a win 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 (laughs) if that makes sense yeah Yeah. no that's really cool thanks for sharing that and I think you're you're so right that you need all four pillars um otherwise your whare your house is a little bit wonky um if they're not all there and they're not all strong and it's really cool that you could sort of find walking as a way to connect and I suppose um strengthen each one of those in in your life yeah 100 percent. and um I just think you know there's so much more to walking than actually walking <laughs> Mm. Um, you can eat food in really cool places you can learn about the land that you're actually walking on and appreciate the custodians of that land as well Uh, learn about different plants and things that you can forage learn about pest control and our native wildlife and there is actually so much to do when you're in the outdoors and it may not necessarily be for everyone but I feel like there's at least one thing for everyone if that makes sense yeah absolutely just going back to that um foraging and connecting with I guess nature and stuff um is conservation or kaitiakitanga something that you sort of resonate with or something you practice while you're while you're outdoors 100%. Me being tangata whenua, I absolutely value kaitiakitanga. I think getting out in the outdoors and being able to appreciate it and treat it as your home because fortunately, um, you know, the land may not necessarily be as fruitful as we need it to be, but that's kind of our own fault. And I think we owe it back to the land to to treat it with the respect that it deserves you know it's a mutual relationship um and there's this philosophy in Maori tanga that really emphasizes the idea that uh, this is not the land of the people it's the other way around we are the people of the land and we owe so much to it I mean it does so much for us it feeds us it gives us water it nurtures us more than we nurture it and it's the least we can do when we get outdoors and treat it with the utmost respect so yeah I very much value kaitiakitanga yeah do you have any um tips or advice for how Pākehā or Manuhiri visitors to New Zealand can sort of connect with that and I guess practice that when we're outdoors as well oh there is so much to outdoor etiquette that I could talk about um <laughs> give us a few <laughs> I mean Cody Dieback uh me living in the North Island it is so massive mm. and recently recently I walked up uh, the Hakiri Mata walkway out in Ngāruahia and that's where the Kingitanga is so if that's where the Māori royal family live you would expect that the native area or the surrounding area would be pristine and very well looked after and it really shocked me because I hadn't been there for so long that there was a Cody dieback 
boot cleaning station, which, oh, you wow. know, you just clean your boots before you go. And I had stood there just because my earphones at the time were tangled up. And so I'm trying to figure out how to untangle them after I've just cleaned my shoes. And the number of people I had actually seen run through the station and not bother to clean their shoes, I really, really, really tried so hard to not be impolite. (laughs) But I just said, oh, hey, just so you know, there's actually um, some washing stuff that you can use to clean your shoes before you come in. They've actually just recently closed a um a track that veers off the main track because of Cody dieback and I just thought you know to prevent this track as well from being closed we should just clean our shoes it takes only a few seconds it's really not that big a deal <laughs> yeah I I haven't done the Hakarimatas in a the hike in a couple of years so yeah I'm I didn't know that there was a cleaning station there but um there's plenty up in Auckland and Northland where I've done some hikes in recent years and you're right it literally takes like Mm -hmm. a minute to clean the mud off your shoes do a little spray spray (laughs) scrub scrub yeah that that is a little bit shocking that people walk past when you literally provide the facilities to do that so easily yeah definitely and another big thing is rubbish I don't know if anyone else has experienced this on tracks but I've been on a lot and I've seen rubbish on most tracks (laughs) it's crazy I know that a lot of the time it's not very intentional because stuff does sometimes fall out of our pockets if we're taking our jackets and things off but it's always wise to kind of keep all your rubbish together packed away in a bag if you have one so it prevents that from happening Mm. I have had to on a number of occasions pick up I'm talking bag loads of rubbish on some tracks I mean I know it may not necessarily be for backcountry tramps but a lot of front country absolutely um yeah and so yeah just I know it seems like common sense but sometimes we're just it's not all that common <laughs> well it's a little bit like driving isn't a it? little we bit all know the road rules but whether or not we follow them is a different story yeah exactly exactly <laughs> and sometimes it's nice to just get that friendly reminder out there for mm-hmm. people to be conscious yeah. of what they're doing with their rubbish yeah well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. Those are like two things that literally everybody can do. So yeah, I hope that everyone <laughs> that listens to it listens carefully. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about some of the tracks around Kirikiriroa or around Rotorua that you love and enjoy. If people are in and around any of those areas, what do you recommend for some walks? I have a real spiritual attachment to Uh, Mount Pirungia. A lot of people don't really make the effort to go all the way to Pirungia, believe it or not. Um, Most people go to Tongariro National Park or Taranaki or the Kaimais, which is fine. But um, I love Pirungia because it was the first, what I would consider, difficult track that I did by myself (laughs) Um, and I found out some really interesting history from my nan about uh, my whānau ties there as well so and I did not know 
when I first went up there alone and randomly had almost like this weird emotional moment where I just wanted to break down and cry of just utter joy and then later on my nan's telling me oh yeah that's because Alfano has big history up there it was actually battlegrounds of this and that and there is actually some of Alfano buried near the Monga, mm. blah, 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 blah. And so it was, it's really cool. And I recommend people going there because it has so much. There's a nice lodge for schools to take kids to if they want to run like an educational program. I actually went there as a child and I had totally forgot about it until I went there one day and I thought, this looks so familiar. Why? <laughs> and then I realized it's because I'd gone there for a school camp when I was really young. Oh, that's so cool. And there are some really nice walks that take you up to peaks along different parts of the Maunga that look out to Raglan or Kirikiriroa or Te Aumatu mm. or, yeah, it's it's just I it's probably my favorite. There are so many tracks there. I could go on all day talking about every single one of them, but um all of them are amazing. Yeah. Well, I was um listening very carefully to your story because I've I've had an experience at Pirongia as well. <laughs> oh, really? Was, it was one of I think it was my first overnight hike in New Zealand um since I came back in 2016. And it was middle winter, super muddy. <laughs> we thought they were going to be four-hour days. They ended up being nine or ten-hour days. Um, so it was not the best experience. But um, hearing hearing your experience, I feel like I need to give it a second chance and maybe try some of the other tracks that are a bit more um, bit more maintained, a bit more well-traveled because there were um, some fallen trees on the track that we were going on and we lost sight of the orange triangles that point you in the right direction um, spent like 25 minutes trying to find <laughs> the right way to go <laughs> I was getting dark and I was like do we have to call the helicopter like what's happening <laughs> I really shouldn't um, be yeah. laughing but I think it's kind of hilarious <laughs> because it's throwing me right back one of the very first tracks that I ever did on Pirongia wasn't supposed to be all that hard it's um a walk that takes you to the tallest kahikatea tree. Okay. And it was estimated to be about three to four hours return. And it was boggy. It was muddy. <laughs> I went through the cave. I had done no research about it. It was extremely claustrophobic and tight and it was yep, wet. I know and the there cave. Were, I've been through that it, cave There were bugs everywhere. <laughs> and this is me really just starting my solo walking journey. So I had no idea. And I really didn't, I did (laughs) not do any thorough research and I continued along the track. And so there is a swing bridge that veers over a stream at one point. It's probably about, I'd say an hour and a half to two hours into the track. Mm -hmm. And it's probably about another five to 15 minutes away from the tallest Kaikatea tree. But I couldn't see the sign for the tree. So I went over (laughs) the bridge 
and I'm following this route. I have no navigation skills whatsoever. It's about 4 p.m. and I'm telling myself I have no hair torch. I've got no food. I have got nothing on me except for a water in my almost flat phone. What do I do? Oh, I'll just keep following the track. Surely there'll be a clearing or something of the sort. And I'm following, following, and I realize another two hours have been gone. So it's like 6 p.m. at this point. Wow. Was this winter or summer? It was summer, thank goodness. Okay. Yeah, still had daylight. <laughs> yeah, still had daylight. And then I saw the sign, and it says Bell Track. That's the one I did. And I thought to myself, where am I? I've <laughs> never heard of this track. I thought I knew what I was doing. And I thought, ah, oh, I'm never going to be able to find this tree. It, it lied to me. So I ended up <laughs> walking all the way back to the car, came into the reception and looked at my phone and where on the trail I had stopped. And I had completely missed it because the sign was on the wrong side of the bridge and it wasn't actually being able to show me direction to the tree. And I got off the track at probably about 830 with a lot of running, oh, wow. with a lot of yeah, running, yeah, <laughs> a lot of running. That was not fun. So, yeah, my my first lot of experiences on the moan, the the mountain was also not that great. But I loved it. I loved. I don't know why. I think it's because I look back now and I think to myself, I am such a dork. I probably should have uh, put a lot more effort into ensuring my safety. <laughs> Um, so have you been back and have you found the tallest tree? I have. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad we've got a redemption at the end of that story. Yes. <laughs> I wasn't giving up. I was not giving up. <laughs> it's so funny you mention it because, um, like you said, the bell track goes past that. And I'm pretty sure it was on the last day when we were coming back to the car park and saw the sign for the tree. And we were like, oh, it's like an hour off the path. Do we want to do this? And I was like, nope. Like, I am done walking. <laughs> <laughs> get me out of here as fast as I can and it was raining on the last day and we were soaked to the skin carrying tents on our back and mud like up to mid mid shins it was it was a character building experience oh <laughs> uh, yeah definitely a character building <laughs> mountain if I'm being honest oh, all yeah. of the tracks have something uniquely difficult about it <laughs> I think <laughs> no that's that's awesome have you found that you've um, grown quite a lot in your, I guess, your technical abilities and like, how do you sort of learn what to take with you, what what you sort of need on your hikes? Was that a bit of a steep learning curve? It wasn't, actually. Um, I'm a huge believer that no one's an expert overnight and I kind of just rolled with the punches. I wasn't you know I didn't really own the best gear or the best shoes or you know the lightest stuff or the fanciest cook or anything along the lines of that but I think just starting is so important because you just don't know and sometimes you need to have a few mistakes mm. obviously not big ones but just small ones like getting lost for a little bit and then figuring out how to navigate your way back. I think sometimes those moments are necessary because it almost is a really 
terrifying but fun way to learn, I guess. Mm. It's that learning by doing, right? Yeah. A lot of, and the thing is, <laughs> as well, is I find a lot of people will say, oh, you need this kind of gear and you need it to do this on a track. And you, you know, you need, they give all sorts of advice and mm. a lot of the time it contradicts each other. Mm. And I remember when I was buying my first pair of shoes, for example, I had no idea what I was doing because I had so many different recommendations. And as someone who's starting out, but still loves getting out and going walking, it was actually quite overwhelming. And I just found my own feet, pun not intended, but I really did. Like I found my feet (laughs) on my own and really appreciated the advice, but just took it as it comes or took it as it came in yeah just made what I could out of it and just kept going and be chill and just try I guess yeah yeah and I did think I ended up growing a lot from it over time I think I think that's really true and it's something that comes up quite a bit um on the podcast um because I think there's two sides to it. There's one side where there's so much valuable knowledge out there and learning from other people's mistakes and learning what worked for them and what didn't and stuff um, can sort of skip the the hard bits yourself. But I think regardless of that, you still do have to go through some of the hard bits yourself because what worked for someone else might not necessarily work for you. Um, and there is just a bit of trial and error in finding out um, how you like to walk and what you want to take with you when you walk or what you want to eat and what are your non, non-negotiables and what you can leave behind. Um, so I think there's, yeah, there's definitely two aspects to it that you've got to sort of hold hand in hand. Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, I have friends who prefer staying in huts, but I really mm-hmm. like camping. Um, yeah, even carrying the tent. I'm... I saved up for quite a lightweight one, so I'm really lucky. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I don't mind carrying the tent if it means sleeping in a really cool spot and eating dinner in my tent in a really cool spot. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really awesome. Um, well, what's coming up next for you? Have you have you got any other hikes on your bucket list that you're super keen to do? Um, what does the next little while look like for you? I have so many on my list. I have hundreds. <laughs> uh, getting through it, I think, would take me years. Mm. But I really want to explore more of Kahurangi National Park. I would like to finish every single Great Walk. Mm. I know it's a really touristy thing, but I really would. <laughs> How many have you done? Uh, I've only done three, I believe. Okay. I've walked parts of other ones, but I've only done three whole ones. Yeah, but I would really like to do the rest. Yeah. A big part of what I wanted to do was just to at least step foot and do it one decent track on every single national park or at every single national park because they're all so different from each other mm. and I want to be able to appreciate each of them and mm, not just pick absolutely. a spot and go to every track in that one spot if that makes sense so yeah I think that's what's 
next for me is finishing those and then yeah. I'll probably start working my way through my very long list who knows <laughs> and when you when you do plan your trips are you more of a planner or are you more spontaneous do you just sort of see where the sun's shining and go there it's a combination of the two I think for yeah. overnight longer trips I plan thoroughly just because I don't really know what to expect sometimes even when you are researching um, everyone's experiences are different and as I mentioned earlier it can be quite overwhelming and so you just want to be a little bit more prepared but at the same time I think it's important to be a little bit spontaneous and kind of wing it I've done it a few times where I've said to myself I'm gonna do this track and it's closed and I end up just jumping on all <laughs> trails or something and finding another oh, awesome. another track nearby yeah. just to make the most of the good weather or whatever it is you know if I've flown all the way down to the South Island and I want to make the most of my trip I'll just wing it yeah absolutely yeah um, well, do you have any final parting advice before we wrap this one up? If you can, read every sign. <laughs> read every placard. I know a lot of people probably don't, but <laughs> some tracks are so educational and we don't even realize it. And there's some cool stuff that I've learned just by reading mm. them. Um, but just try and get out as well. Just, Just go. Don't think too hard about it. A lot of people think too hard about it, I think. And then they get out and then they secretly realize that they love it. <laughs> um, I've had a lot of friends tell me that they are dreading the idea of me dragging them out for a walk. And then I take them and then they ask me when the next one is. And they said, oh, but take your time. But really, they <laughs> really they yeah, want to go yeah. soon. So just they're go. Super keen for yeah, they're yeah. super keen for it. So just go. We're actually, we're doing a big hike. Well, we're doing the Abel Tasman Great Walk with oh, my whānau this summer. Yes. Um, and there are 17 of us <laughs> doing this together. So it's, I have five siblings, so it's all of us, and it's all my cousins, and it's my <laughs> grandma. And, like, this is going to be one of those where they're going to complain about it the whole time, but they're going to really appreciate it by the end. Yeah, I love that. I love that. This is team building. This is Fano building here. It really is. Um, yeah, my sisters that are uh, 17 and 20 were like, are there going to be showers? Where am I going to charge my phone? That is cool. And I'm just like, I can't wait. Like, you don't know what's going to hit you. Yeah, no idea, sis. <laughs> <laughs> but that's amazing oh, yeah, that's amazing I love it I, I love the shock though and I also I think I think <laughs> it's so important because I will never forget when I went on a track and lost reception for the first time and I gasped out loud to myself and I almost <laughs> gave myself a fright thinking I forgot that I'm in the middle of nowhere there's no reception what is this <laughs> Yeah, they'll be missing their B reels. It'll be it'll be really tragic, man. <laughs> well, Kaylin, this has been really, really cool. I've loved having a corero with you and it's been really awesome to hear how you got into walking. And I'm really excited to have a bit of a stalk of your Instagram and see what some of your past adventures have been. Um, but I've also really appreciated your Te Ao Māori insight and sharing a bit about Māori Tanga. And yeah, just ways that we can be better kaitiaki because I think everybody can do do our part. Yeah, no, likewise. And um, 
thank you for actually letting me use your platform actually as a place to fight it or a little bit about that because it really is important to me <laughs> uh, but I also think just in general to the health of Aotearoa and conservation and all sorts so yeah really do appreciate it. 100% well I'll make sure oh before we go where can people find you on socials I know we've mentioned it a couple of times but um is there anywhere else except for Instagram that people can connect with you? My name is Kaylin Kingy on Facebook. And to be honest, if you're into the outdoors and I get the vibe from you that you want to go for a walk with me, I pretty much just accept you and we just have a chat and then we can tee something up. But I'm pretty much always on Instagram at Miss Walk a Lot. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure I link both your Facebook and your Instagram in the description so people can find you really easily. Um, and thank you so much. Amazing. No, thank you. Kakite. Kakite. It was amazing to connect with Kaylin and hear the story of how she started walking a lot and how the outdoors became a safe haven for her. It was really special to hear about the Fari Tapafa and the importance of physical, mental, social and spiritual pillars of well-being. This is something I definitely resonate with in my own mental health recovery journey, which I shared more about in the pilot episode and in episode 18. Make sure you connect with Kaylin on Instagram or Facebook and hit her up if you're keen for a hikoi. Thank you so much for tuning in and coming along for the ride. If you love the show and enjoyed listening, please take the time to leave a review on Apple or Spotify. I would also love to connect with you, so send me a DM on Instagram or leave me a voice message, and I can't wait to see you next time. Until then, keep adventuring.